Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 264 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by two fantastic guests this evening. First of all, we have with us Will McFadden, at Will McFadden, host of our sister show on the Believe Podcast, Eric Believe in Falcons, and a fellow uh, writer, contributor extraordinaire over at thefalcoholic.com. Will, it's been it's been a minute since we've had you on. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's it's crazy because you, I was told you I was planning on reaching out to you this week, yeah, and you reached yeah. out to me, and it was it was one of these where it was like it's probably about time for us to to just come together, hash out the whole Arthur Smith, like the direction of the franchise, what's going on with the team. So it was serendipitous, and I'm really uh, excited for this conversation. So thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like, I feel like in the off season, it was just like, maybe we should like not, because we were, I feel like we were just having each other on like every week, you know, because it's the off season, everyone's <laughs> taking a break. And now it's like, the season's here. Okay, we can do it. And it's like, oh, it's been like months. So definitely well overdue. Uh, and speaking of overdue, also Dave Choate joining us tonight, uh, guys at the Falcoholic himself. Dave, how are you doing this fine evening? You know, like, like we were saying before the show, aside from computer stuff and the Falcons, I'm great. Those yeah, th- those are the two things. All right. Yes. Well, those are two things that computer stuff. Maybe we I can help a little bit with the Falcons. I I can't. You know, you guys know if I if I had power over the Falcons, then they'd probably have won multiple Super Bowls by now. But unfortunately, none of us seem to have any influence whatsoever on whether the Falcons are good or not. Um, so you know, we're just gonna continue to uh, do our best here, discussing this this flawed team. Um, at least earlier in the season, I think they were lovably flawed. Uh, since then, decidedly less lovable. Uh, but you know, they're still our Falcons, and we're gonna we're gonna talk, we're gonna try to inject some optimism because I think coming into this show, you know, J- Jordan Watkins, my co-host for Trench Talk. Uh, very down on the whole situation and, and that conversation yesterday. If you want the pessimism, go listen to that show uh, <laughs> because that was much darker ter- uh, darker look at things. I think tonight we're going to get a little, maybe give it, give optimism a chance. You know, not, not saying that this is going to happen or that we even believe that it will happen, but we're going to at least talk through what an optimistic outlook for the rest of this season might look like. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get sort of our takes on what we actually think will happen, too. Um, and so there will probably be some pessimism from me in there. But, you know, there, there's, we'll give it a chance. We'll give hope a chance, right, uh, on tonight's show. And before we dive in, real quick, want to bring you a word from our sponsor, of course, BetOnline.ag. Folks, the last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline.ag remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. You can get the NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL. All those are in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. You can get all the hoops betting that you're looking for along with the NFL through the Super Bowl and college football through the college football playoff available at your fingertips with both desktop and now mobile access at any time. So what are you waiting for, folks? Head to the website, BetOnline. Dot ag today and remember to use our promo code believe that's b l e a v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts all right so we got two great guests and we got a lot to cover because i haven't spoken to either of you guys in a long time i i will uh i will will was technically the first to rsvp so will will get the first crack here uh <laughs> that's how we have to do it to be totally fair you know uh but i love it 
I'm just sort of curious, Will, what your what your takeaway on how the season as a whole has gone. Obviously, it's not what we expected, but how are you feeling now heading into the buy at four and six? Is this are you devastated? Are you like sort of irked? Like where where so where have you uh, where do you land at this point in the season? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely could fairly be criticized as probably looking on the on the bright side a little bit too much, but. It's frankly, I'm not trying to look on any side, really. I'm just trying to understand what is going on. And at least the approach that you hear Arthur Smith say that he wants to follow, like it, it makes sense from a kind of a sound football standpoint. You can look at the fact that they're in all of these games. Like there are real things that I think if you look at the last regime and I was in the building for that downfall and it was the problems were different problems. And to me, they were much harder problems to fix under DQ at the end there. So that is why I think I'm a little reticent to just be like eject Arthur Smith into the sun, because I think that these are the types of problems where you can roll up your sleeves and you can kind of get under the hood and, and you can fix it a little bit. But that being said, like when you lose three games in a row and you've lost, you know, the last two games against teams that, I don't really care what all the circumstances were or, you know, Josh Dobbs turning into Jeremy Lin over the last couple of weeks or Kyler Murray coming back. Like you need to win those last two games. And so when you're now on a three game losing streak going into the bye week, you have had to bench your quarterback who you all off season stood behind said that we believe this person can, maybe he's not the franchise franchise quarterback, but we've seen enough from him. We believe the upside is there enough that, over the course of the season, if the growth happens, like we think there's a reasonable chance can that he can get you to the playoffs. So I was kind of buying into a lot of that stuff. But like I said, a three game losing streak. And now I start to sit here and wonder, OK, it is fair to look at Arthur Smith and say, it's all well and good that you've been saying we need the bye week to get stuff corrected. We need to kind of figure this out, re retool some things, make some adjustments, but we'll get it fixed when you've been saying we'll get it fixed after pretty much every loss this season and the same kind of, it's just the commonality is the befuddlement in which you're losing the games. There is no real through line outside of the turnovers there, but it's just, all right, well you keep losing. That's the commonality. And so it becomes harder to say Arthur Smith is now 100% in my mind, the right man given the week off to make those corrections. That's kind of where I am with all of it. I still have hope like i said before because of the the ways in which the falcons are in these games they lost these last two games because of really poor tackling in the pocket <laughs> against quarterbacks who <laughs> yeah have way more athleticism than we expected them you know josh dobbs yeah. definitely kyler murray we knew that but like they were right there they had those wins and i feel like we'd be singing a different tune if if like two tackles get made so i yeah. just try to balance all of that even even though i think it's totally fair to like to say fire them off into the sun, right? <laughs> like, because you lose three games and that's life in the NFL. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's really quite hilarious to me that they lost the games the exact same way. Literally <laughs> the exact same thing happened and on I pro- both like, of those I plays. Felt like, yeah. I felt like that was going to happen. Oh, yeah. All Sunday oh, yeah. morning, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody like had the same feeling at some yep. point where they were like, huh, Kyler Murray is also pretty athletic. I really hope that they figured out the problems they had against Josh Dobbs because I could see a scenario in a late game situation. Like I played the whole scenario out in my head at brunch on Sunday morning and then it happened. Like that's, that's really bad. It is. It's, it's, 
it was crushing. Obviously, it, it pissed a lot of people off, myself included. And, you know, the reason you guys come to us is because after the game, we're as pissed off as you are. And then you come back to us because after a few days, we tend to have more reasonable takes so you can get a little bit of tempered energy in there. But yeah, very frustrating into that game for sure. And Dave, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on on sort of how things have played out and, and of course, the, the end to that game as well. Yeah, for me, it, it is hugely disappointing, right? And And the reason for that is, you know, Go back to the end of last year. We're looking at a team. They finished seven and ten again, but you were like, they're gonna spend a lot of money. This is the third year for this coaching staff. You know, I know Ryan Nielsen's new, but you know, the problems that have existed here, you know what they are, you know what you have to do to fix them, you know where you need to go. And after the offseason that they had, after the expenditures, after the draft capital, after, you know, again lessons learned and so forth that, that that should have been learned um this team is kind of still losing games the same way um they're struggling with the same problems that they had a year ago and even sometimes in 2021 so to be sitting here at four and six like i know you know that they're really only like a game out you know if they beat the saints all of a sudden everything flips again and they have a shot but the way that the season has unfolded the way that so many of their bets have not worked out the way they expected them to it has been really disappointing. And I think it really does cast a lot of doubt on how this whole thing has been built, which is not where I wanted to be uh, thinking like that, because again, you know, with the money that they spent with the draft capital, with the building that they've been doing, there was a vision here that was supposed to happen and it hasn't come close to coming together, especially on offense, which has been a huge disappointment for me. So you know, seeing the end of, of that Cardinals game, um, you know, I think we all saw it coming. Like you guys said, the yeah. the scramble, even the deep, the deep ball there, like as soon as it left Kyler Murray's hands, I was like, that's a completion. Like you just knew you know, it didn't matter who he was throwing it to, where it was going, it was going to happen. And that's, to me, that's really the, the most defining, disappointing thing about this Falcon season is they are still the Falcons. They are the Falcons in the most classic fall apart at the wrong time ways. Um, and, and yes, it's a different team, different coaching staff, different set of problems overall. But you know you can count on them to do that really stupid thing right at the end of the game. So, you know, they have to come out of the bye looking like a totally different team, which is, again, if you had asked me at the end of the summer where we were going to be, we all had our season record predictions. We all had thoughts on how this was going to go. I think I was pretty downbeat on the pass rush. I was more measured with Ritter and still, you know, my expectations have been obliterated. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not super pumped. Yeah. No. And, and I think like a big part of it is that they're losing. Right. And I mean, and, and, you could talk about like, oh, what it have you know? And uh, not calling out Joe Schmo in the chat here. Joe's been a another long suffering enjoyer of this team, who who he's been one of the guys I would say that's been the most critical of Smith's play calling in particular, uh, even going back to last year and and saying you know don't don't think what what would it change if we won these last two games by a point or something? We'd still have the same problems. And I, I think that's a good point intellectually to to think about, but it's human nature, right? You're winning, everything's fine. You're losing, everything sucks. And like, would the problems be that different if they had made those two sacks? No, not really. I mean, they would be a little less magnified and obviously they'd have two more wins, which in the NFL, ultimately, if you have wins, it covers up a lot of bad stuff. But, you know, 
to me, it's 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 a multifaceted problem because I I agree with Joe's take and, and the takes of a lot of sort of analysts. You know, JT O'Sullivan with the quarterback school, I think, has done great work evaluating it. We saw Court, Kurt totally Warner, agree. Kurt Warner, infamously uh, also <laughs> put his put his hat in the ring there and it sparked a little bit of ire from from Arthur Smith. Um, and you know, I think there are some fundamental issues with the passing game that really just that really it hasn't evolved at all in Arthur Smith's time here or really since Tennessee. And and I think that's that's one of the big red flags to me is that you have to be able to adapt in the NFL because teams will sit on your tendencies. Um and I think that, we were yeah. starting to see some evolution though under Ritter. It's mm-hmm. just that the turnovers became yeah. such a glare. It's like it blocked out that growth because the turnovers were such an issue. But that's that to me that was so starkly um appearance in this Cardinals game they didn't trust Taylor Heineke like no. they they did not have a game plan that called for him to throw the ball down the field at all and then when Desmond Ritter did come in the game you saw I believe I believe Taylor Heineke's average depth of target was like 4.4 yards and then Desmond Ritter's was like 12.7 now obviously you know fourth quarter they were trailing when Ritter came in but that it's bigger than just that right that is they have opened up the offense, or at least were opening up the offense, I think, under Desmond Ritter in a way that you're right. They definitely did not under Marcus Mariota. And I don't think they really felt comfortable with Taylor Heineke, you know, being in a position where he could turn the ball over and cost them that game. But I do think they are more willing to kind of believe that Desmond Ritter can rein this in and that they felt like they can open up the offense or at least find a little bit more balance with Desmond Ritter behind center. So that's just a pushback a little bit on that, Kevin, because I think Mm. we were starting to see the signs of growth in the passing game and see that become a little bit more true to the 50-50 balanced vision of the run in the pass game that Arthur Smith wants. But again, like I think it's fair to take everything that he envisions and the plan for this offense with a little bit of a grain of salt, given everything we've seen so far. Yeah. I mean, and that's another aspect of this that is just very puzzling is the whole quarterback situation because, you know, I, people, people go all the way back to 2021 and, and, and criticize, you know, the, the decision to pass on Justin Fields or not to go after a quarterback that draft. And we're, we're not going to rehash that. You guys know my thoughts. I was team Justin Fields, but I was pretty happy with Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts is a great prospect, a great player, I think. Now, Kyle Pitts's usage is another thing entirely, and that's another, you know, sort of sticking point with, with this coaching staff and sort of their failure to be able to create a role for Kyle Pitts that's really emphasized his strengths, especially this year when he's lost, clearly still recovering from injury, and he's not the one-of-one one athlete that he was in years prior, so you kind of have to utilize him a little bit differently. But, yeah, I mean... And, and this is, I'll bring Dave in on this too, you know, th- the decision to go away from Ritter so soon, I mean, I think it shocked everyone. Um, and, I, and I think there wasn't a lot of pushback to it for the reasons that you mentioned, Will, which was like, he was turning the ball over at an insane rate. Like that, now that being said, he was actually passing the ball pretty well when he wasn't throwing interceptions, which he really hadn't done a lot of in the last several weeks. It was mostly the fumbles. He was throwing the ball pretty well. They were they were getting the passing game going, like you said. And then the lead, it seemed like there was no leash. Like he fumbled that ball, uh, and then they, you know, he went in for concussion testing. And Arthur Smith was like, "All right, we're putting Heineke in." Um, and that yeah. was 
it was jarring to me at the time, but I, you know, it I sort of like they could use the cover of the, the concussion yeah. a little bit. Like it gave them a little bit of a window there. And, and honestly, I, I kind of felt like they said, Hey, we can just, we can beat the Vikings and we can beat the Cardinals as long as we don't beat ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I think especially in the Cardinals game, they were a little timid and you could feel yeah. that because I think they were so afraid to lose that game themselves that then they went out and lost that game by not playing to really win. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of what it seemed like to me, especially with the offensive game plan. But look, I, I'm seeing a chat too. Like I, the past concepts have never been my favorite with Arthur Smith. It is a lot of these kind of double posts, these high lows, a lot of just like stick routes that yeah. end up not moving anywhere on third and six. And you got four guys running like five yards and turning around. What do you do after that? So trust me, like there's, it's not a beautiful dance of like run and pass married together. I totally get that. I just think it felt like they were trusting Desmond Ritter to unlock at least a little bit more of that playbook. And that's something different than what I've seen with any other quarterback under uh, Arthur Smith, not named Matt Ryan. Yeah, I agree there. And, and Dave, I'll bring you in on this. You know, what, what were your thoughts sort of about the decision to go to, to Heineke? Was that jarring to you? And, and what do you think about the sort of state of the passing game as a whole at this point? Yeah, I don't think, um, you know, I've written about this quite a bit over the last couple of yeah. weeks, um, you know, uh, with Heineke, to me, you know, you were saying he gave you that good second half. Ritter really had looked bad that first half. You had the cover with the injury as weirdly as Arthur Smith has handled this whole situation. Like, I again, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. He could not have made it seem more you know, like cloak and dagger than he did. I think that's just his style ultimately, but it was, it it kind of, you know, made everything weird. Um, But I do think that the decision was defensible at the time, because again, Ritter was turning the ball over at such a clip that you really had to, you know, maybe take that step back. And and I understand, you know, you felt like you had to win the Vikings and Cardinals games. So you were going to let Heineke do it. Um, I think what I, I didn't necessarily understand is after the Vikings game, sticking with him, especially in light of what we saw from the Cardinals game plan, which Will alluded to, which is Heineke was not going to, to throw an interception down the field. Like they were not going to let him do it. And if <laughs> that is something that you don't trust your veteran guy that you brought in to win the game not to do, um, then we have a big problem. And, and I think it kind of underscores the problems with the passing game, which is you have, you know, and again, Ritter's probably not the guy. Ultimately Heineke's definitely not the guy. Ultimately Mariota wasn't the guy, you know, Matt Ryan at the tail end of his career, they, they have to get the guy they feel good about. And if it's, it's not going to be Ritter, it's got to be somebody else in this draft class. But ultimately this passing attack has way too much invested in it to be, incredibly mediocre which is 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 what it is you know from a week-to-week basis you have too many turnovers you have too many lackluster performances every single week we're looking at a receiver or a tight end we're like how did he drop that why isn't this guy producing more like the constant drumbeat of something is wrong with this offense especially in the red zone I, i think comes back to this passing game not being cohesive not making sense even on a week to week basis like certainly what we saw from Heineke against the Vikings was kind of a, a flawed effort, but he took some good shots. There were some good things there. Wasn't allowed to do it at all. 
and I don't even know what this is going to look like when Ritter comes back against the Saints and, and like not knowing what what you have here, what's going to work is a problem for me. So ultimately, it just feels like a mess in a way that I don't feel like it should. And, and again, we came into this saying, you know, you've got some solid, not great, but solid options at wide receiver beyond Drake London. Um, you have Kyle Pitts, you have John o. Smith, who has exceeded expectations. You know, Robinson is is a capable pass catching back. There are pieces here to make this work, and none of those pieces, aside from John, who have been working every single week. And you know, especially when you have the investment that you have in Kyle Pitts, the fact that John o. Smith comes in and looks this great, and like Arthur Smith is like excited to game up these plays for John o. Smith, where he's throwing the ball, where he's running in a jet sweep and stuff, is it's it just feels like they never wanted Pitts in the first place. So. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's I'm the big. A little bit, yeah, no, yeah. I mean it. That that to me is is the most problematic part of of this whole thing. Um, and you know, because Pitts is the guy we've had the most, we've seen the most. We've had him here the longest of of the three big picks that they've had. You know, Pitts first, then Drake London, then Bijan, and I think the only one you can strongly argue that's been utilized appropriately is is Drake London. I think he's been getting the targets not you know last week coming back from injury was a little bit of a slower game for him that that's not that surprising ultimately i think he's been getting the right amount of attention but kyle pitts like the the way that they haven't the way that they have sort of not evolved his role like i i think for me you know when he was coming out i i always envisioned him as like this is that true jimmy graham plus player where like he's a true tight end wide receiver hybrid you can line him up in slot you can line him up out wide you're going to try to find ways to get him one-on-ones with with guys and they've really dispensed with any interest in doing that they basically played him almost exclusively in line this last game i think he played 38 snaps in line compared to like 10 elsewhere um and there was a there was a play i it was on the first series it was Mm -hmm. uh one of the first i mean kyle pitts got the ball so it was Mm -hmm. it was one of the first completions of the game but if you go back and watch the all 22 of that play like he is in line hand in the dirt to the left he has to he just runs like the the traditional like underneath levels route right so he's just running across the formation he gets lit up by two Arizona linebackers on the way. And it takes him essentially an eternity in football time to actually like get all the way across the formation. And he's so late that that's where Taylor Heineke is able yeah. to find him just as an outlet. But what are we doing here? This yes. is again, a like, uh, like Kevin Durant out here playing football. You don't have him put his hand in, in the dirt and then scrape through all these linebackers. Like that's what John U. Smith should be doing. Yeah. You should have Kyle Pitts out there kind of running yeah, that, a deep comeback or, you know, that deep, like, sh- stretch the field with Kyle Pitts. Don't make him sort through traffic. I don't get that. Yeah, that that to me is the is my, like, biggest beef with Arthur Smith. And, um, you know, it, when you take a guy that high, especially at a position like tight end where it really had never been done before, I, I imagined this big role that you had envisioned, like the how you were going to utilize him, all the places, positionless football, you know, all the stuff we've been fed about that. And, like... Ultimately, he's just playing inline tight end, like just inline tight end. Like we sort of dispensed with him even attempting to line up outside. And it's bizarre to me because I, I don't feel like inline tight end is really a good fit for him at all. Like, I mean, I I think you could do it occasionally, you know, to get him some looks. 
but like as we've seen like and this was something that jordan and i discussed a lot on on trench talk this week which is that the tight end blocking for the falcons has fallen off a lot and that's part of the reason the outside zone run is struggling um and part of that is that you're having kyle pitts as like a primary blocker and it's like that is not having Kyle Pitts take on defensive ends is not a recipe for success. Like it, it, it's just not like only the best blocking tight ends are going to be able to have success doing that. You know, I think Parker Hesse typically was the one you would want there. He's obviously on practice squad. IR. he didn't even make the roster, which is, you know, I know Aaron Freeman's a big proponent of like, it's actually Parker Hesse's loss that's torpedoed the offense, but um, which I, I kind of agree with it, that. And I was, <laughs> yeah. I like, I, I like Parker Hesse a lot, but think about what you just said. Gavin. Yes. That, like, that, that, should, that should not Hesse. be. Yeah, yeah. That should not be the case uh, that, that your offense is reliant on one blocking tight end or it all falls apart. That's not a good or situation. Parker Hesse at all. Again, that's yeah. like to Parker Hesse, but yeah. like, how is, how is he the linchpin of any NFL offense? Right. Exactly. And it's, and so it's like, well, Parker S, he's gone. So I guess Kyle Pitts, now you have to be a blocking tight end. It's like, no. Like, I mean, I think Kyle Pitts, if you want him to block, have him line up outside on a cornerback and block that guy into the dirt. Because I'm sorry, there's not very many corners that are going to have a lot of success going up against Kyle Pitts if he's blocking them. Like, And Kyle Pitts is like not a great blocker as a tight end. But if he was a wide receiver, I think he'd be a lot better as a blocker, you know, just because he doesn't have to block defensive ends. If he's blocking a corner, that's a completely different thing. Um, and wide so, receivers have to block in this offense. Like, he could mm-hmm. be very valuable on the edge as a blocker as well. Like, I, he would bring tight end blocking skills to the receiver position and also receiver skills to the receiver. Like, yeah, there, there's such a way that you can totally use him. It's just... I think my biggest issue, and I've been trying to think about like the Arthur Smith offense in totality, like what is the vision for it? And I do think it is this ultra versatile, you never really know on any play either what's coming because they're formation and personnel versatile, or even who the main read or option, if it's a pass, could be because not only could it be a different guy running the same route on out of the same look on a different personnel grouping, but it could be okay, hey, we're, we have Kyle Pitts and we went to him this last play, but now we're going to Scotty Miller. Now we're going to Kaderil Hodge. Now we're going to Drake. Like they want to use everybody so that nobody has any idea of including defenses, like who the ball's going to. But to me, it's almost like, all right, in Top Gun Maverick, right? When they come up with this great, like the hardest plan on earth is like the only plan that's going to work. And that's kind of, I feel like Arthur Smith feels like he's Maverick. (laughs) <laughs> and he's like, well, let me get in this plane and I will show you that I can do this run that nobody else can do and not only do it, but do it 10 seconds better than the time that you set. Like, it doesn't have to be this hard, man. Like, sometimes no. you can just go iso ball and say, Drake London, get ready. This series, we're coming to you like four times. And I know defenses dictate things, but like not every single team in the NFL for years and years and years have been unable to get the balls in the hands of their best players in the most crucial situations. I I am confused why that continues to be kind of the line from the organization, whether it's Julio Jones in the red zone or it's, you know, Kyle Pitts or or Bajan or whoever, like play your good players and get them the ball, please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Go ahead, Dave, please. It's been killing me is I like Van Jefferson. Maybe Van Jefferson works out. I, this radicalized me when I did like the third down <laughs> target share, like he's third on the team in third down targets. Now he has caught one of them. 
one of eight third down targets. Like he's rough, they, yeah, man. Trying and like to me, you Matt Collins is not a great second wide receiver. I recognize there were some issues, you know, with how the offense was spaced when he was in there, but he blocks well and he can catch, make contested catches. And he's basically been phased out of the game plan. And we're seeing a ton of Van Jefferson and it's not working. So like, again, to me, it really is like it. If Arthur Smith wants to be the guy that has the genius scheme and the idea that elevates everything, you cannot go out and draft three top 10 weapons. You need to just get him a bunch of guys so that he can play in his sandbox and make that happen. If you're not going to use these guys, especially in the red zone that you spent all that draft capital on, or even on third down, you know, and we're just going to get Kaderil Hodge, who's done well, to be fair, and Van Jefferson, you know, in these crucial situations, then this thing is really, really broken. And I think that was a good point that you made, Will, that like, there is this pressure for him in some way to you know, show that he's got all the answers. He's got the right answer for this thing. And it's, he just feels like he's outthinking himself on a weekly basis in a way that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's rough. Like when you spend, this is exactly what it is. When When you spend these type of resources, you expect to get certain results as a fan, as an analyst, wherever. And that's, you know, that's why he's pissed off the fantasy community so much. It's because like, why aren't these guys being used like the picks they are? And like, why would you draft them if you weren't going to use them that way? And it, it's, yeah, the fantasy guys are, you know, fantasy guys always. They're going to focus on <laughs> fantasy points. Not a big shock there, right? Um, but they're not wrong about these guys are not being utilized enough for the draft capital you've sunk into them. And like, you know, we're going to get into a lot of the aspects of this over the remainder of the show too. And and also inject some optimism. We'll try, um, you know, maybe not very much. We'll see. But, you know, to me, it's, you know, Kyle Pitts is the most egregious one, right? And it's like all the things you mentioned, they don't really have a good wide receiver too. Like it would be one thing if they had T Higgins or something. And it was like, well, we've got Drake Lennon and T Higgins for our outside receivers. We're kind of just like, we'd like to play Kyle Pitts outside, but do we really want to take T Higgins off the field? You know, not really. You're taking Van Jefferson or Mac Hollins off the field to get Kyle Pitts lined up across from Drake Lennon. That's... Why are we not doing this? Like, that's not, that's an easy calculus for me. Like, I'm not, you know, worried about losing a snap of Van Jefferson so Kyle Pitts can get a one on one with a corner. And it, this stuff is not that complicated. Like, if you have Drake and you have Kyle Pitts lined up outside, one of those guys is going to see one on one coverage, probably. Uh, And if not, that means they're playing a super light box, which is probably what you prefer they would do anyway, given that you want to run the football. So, why are we never seeing it? It's like, you know, if Kyle Pitts is lined up one-on-one with a corner and not having to play and not having to start off a snap in line, block for a second, and then go run through trash to try to get open, you know, Kyle Pitts one-on-one with most corners is a terrifying prospect for them. That's probably going to just demand safety help. If you want to get more good looks for Drake London, it seems like a pretty good way to do it. Or if you want to take people out of the box uh, to, to open up stuff for your run game, it seems like that would be a good idea for that too. But it, I don't really see the downside to it. So to me, when they refuse to do it, I'm like, well, why aren't you doing it? And it's like, well, because we want them to block. So that's not a good answer. Like, I, I don't see any good answers to what they're doing, I guess. And that's my biggest concern is like, what, where, where, what are the conversations happening that lead to Kyle Pitts playing 40 snaps in line? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could play, I guess, devil's advocate, make a point real quick. Okay. Um, yeah. Like if, 
so the Detroit game, right? The the play that Ritter missed, you know, the but early on Kyle Pitts running that deep post like has three steps on the safety who was lined up across front. Like I kind of get the vision if you're going to make the argument that Kyle Pitts's freakish athleticism actually allows him to access not all of the route tree, right? You're not running a comeback from like an inline tight end position, but maybe he can access certain parts of the field from that spot that most guys simply can't. So maybe it's like, okay, we can put him here, have a little bit, not only the added element of if it is a run play, now we've got an extra guy kind of in line, but we can make defenses think it's a run play. We can get him lost in the shuffle. Also, if you're number three to a defense and not number one on the outside, like, you're more likely to get a linebacker or a safety match. So there are the reasons why you would want to maybe move him inside. But to your point, Kevin, I, I don't need him to necessarily be the key sealback block for your cutback lane. And then he gets mauled by an outside linebacker or a defensive end. And it's just kind of like, okay, now a run that could have been set up to go nine yards goes for like a one and a half yard gain because he got kind of shed and then the guy makes a tackle that Bajan didn't see coming. That That's just happened too many times to just, it's not like they're using him in the ways that I just necessarily argued for. So then does that argument even matter? It's just, again, like maybe that is the argument, but you got to show it then. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, what they're doing is clearly not working, which makes it really easy to critique for, for us, you know, because <laughs> right. it's not working. So it's easy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, the biggest the, that's just the biggest red flag to me is you get a guy like this at fourth overall. He's one of the most uniquely talented players that we've seen come out of the draft in the last three drafts, and you can't find a role for him. You can't figure out how to get how to make him a featured target on your offense. And it's like that that to me now that like because it's like in year one uh, there were no there were no questions right a thousand yard season everything's everything's great year two the the target you know the target share was good enough. And he was playing with Marcus Mariota, so you could sort of wave it away. You're like, well, Marcus Mariota can't hit the broadside of a barn beyond 15 yards. Uh, he missed Kyle Pitts about 20 times, you know, over the course of the season on stuff that he was open on. Um, and and he was he, Kyle Pitts still had one of the highest target shares of any tight end in the NFL. So you're like, okay, fine. Those excuses are gone now. Like that, none of those things are the case anymore. He doesn't have Marcus Mariota now. Maybe some people will argue that Ritter's worse than Mariota as a passer. I don't think so. Um, you know, T Taylor Heineke has been bad, so maybe you could argue that he's worse. But I don't, I don't think he's honestly worse. But, you know, and Kyle Pitts is getting like three to five targets a game. Like, it's just that's nowhere near enough for a guy that you prioritize to that extent and that we all know is talented. And it, it I think it's starting to obviously rub off on him because I don't expect that he's super happy with his role. Now, Kyle Pitts is a complete consummate professional. Like he reminds me of a Matt Ryan. He's never gonna say one slanderous thing about this team ever. But you can't tell me that he's not pissed off. I mean, like, <laughs> I just like I mean, if I'm the fourth overall pick and I'm getting three to five targets a game, um, and I'm getting open and and like, I mean, there's no way that's not affecting him. Um, and just given what we like, I worry about the team starting to check out. Not that I think it's happened at this stage, but the whole team is clearly stuck in the mud. I mean, everyone looks like they're kind of in some sort of malaise. Everyone's making mistakes. Everyone's struggling. And, and to me, it just really looks, you can kind of see when teams are, are starting to lose it a little bit. And that doesn't necessarily mean they've given up on the coaching staff or anything like that, but 
it can be a death spiral. Uh, and that's sort of where we're entering the buy at is like, this is the start of a death spiral. Now, you know, there's a certain point like in Maverick, right? You know, you get, you can't get below the flight deck, right? You got to stay above the ceiling, you know? And so we haven't hit the ceiling yet where you got to eject, but we're getting close to that. How about that segue? That's that's professional segue. I freaking love it, man. Yeah. Look at Tied you. into yes. the, the yes, Maverick reference. Wing. Yep. Uh, you can but, be my wingman anytime. <laughs> anytime, but yeah. But let's talk about coming out of, of the tailspin and potentially saving the season because look, they're four and six. It's not great, right? They are on a three-game losing streak. They lost two games that they really should have won. Really probably should beat the Vikings too, even though the Vikings actually look like they're not bad at this stage, obviously. Um, but they're four and six, and they're in a terrible division again. So, like, if they beat the Saints coming out of the bye, they will be in first place once again. Uh, so, you know, they've got they've got a, a much wider runway. Uh, like a longer runway than a lot of other teams because of the division. So, yes, like, uh, can the Falcons save their season after the bye, the title of the episode? Yes, but it's going to be hard, um, obviously. It helps that they have four division games remaining. So if they win those four games, they're probably set because they'll have a 6-0 and division record, and they'll have handed two losses to the Saints, another loss to the Bucks, and another loss to the Panthers. The Panthers are out of it. Uh, almost entirely at this point, but you know, so Could they have imagined that would be hilarious. That would actually be the funniest <laughs> end to the season. If they go on a tear and actually win the division with like seven wins, but oh um, that would be actually really hilarious. But um, I'm curious and I'll, I'll go to Dave first on this. What do you think about the opportunity the Falcons have here? Is it fool's gold, Dave, if they do manage to pull this off, do you think they can pull it off? I mean, they, 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 they played the easiest schedule in the NFL by a significant margin over the last seven. Do you have any hope whatsoever that they can turn this around and, and sneak a division win in here some somehow? Yeah, I, I do. And the reason for that is, again, this team is wildly underachieving. And, and we, can, we can debate, um, and, and we certainly have over the last couple of years, including in 2021, where we had some hilarious debates about how talented the team was. Um, with some folks being like, they have enough talent to contend. And, you know, we won't go there today, but, <laughs> you know, they, they have not played up to their ability. And, and I think I look at that punt return um, against the Cardinals as like an indicator of what they're doing. Like D'Angelo Malone comes flying down the field, unblocked. He's got, he's got the angle. He does like 80 to 90% of what he needs to do. And then at the end, he takes the wrong angle. He misses a tackle. He gets back up. He misses another tackle. And I don't want to pick on Malone, but this is sort of what the Falcons have been doing all year, right? They're like 80% of the way there. And it's these detailed mistakes. It's the turnovers. It's it's the penalties. It's just sloppy little things that you wouldn't expect from this team based on everything they, they talk about being about. So I look at them and I say, you're not that far away from being a decent football team. And decent is all it's going to take in the NFC South. I think, you know, an argument that they're a good team, a great team, they're going to make a huge playoff run. That seems hard to believe, right? A lot would have to come together. But to start winning some games, to stay in the NFC South until the end, to even potentially win it, given that they have a 2-0 and record in the NFC South already and can get to 3-0 and by beating the Saints, sure, I believe that's possible. It's all about fixing the little things that have chronically gone wrong. Now, the problem 
you know, the less optimistic take there is they haven't fixed them and it's been 10 weeks. So am I super confident it's going to happen? Not necessarily, but can it happen? Absolutely. So I, I guess my most optimistic take is if everything goes right, they can win the crappiest division in football. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, you know, to, to get to a winning record now would require five and two the rest of the way, which like you look, you say that and it's like, oh, there's 0% chance, but remember the schedule, right? They play the saints twice who are very not good. They're basically the Falcons, but spending $40 million on a quarterback. Um, they, they get to play the bucks again. They get to play the Panthers again. Uh, and then they play the Colts. Maybe the Colts are the best team left in the schedule somehow. The Gardner Minshew Colts. Uh, they play the Bears, you know. So, like, it, it's it's not like it's a murderer's row. They play the Jets, too. Uh, so, like, if you can score 18 points, you're probably beating the Jets. And it's, at least so far, they've been pretty good at scoring 18 points. So, we'll see if they can get that done again. But, um, you know looking at that schedule, it's a lot of an, e- it's a much easier proposition than it would be for like the bucks who got to go and play the 49ers this week and got to go, you know, play a bunch of other teams. And it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot tougher for some of these NFC South teams than it is for the Falcons. Um, so, you know, they, they need a miraculous turnaround. The one good thing is that if you're going to have a significant change to how your team looks, typically you're going to get that coming off a of bye week where you've actually had time to implement major changes, you know, major quote unquote, I mean, how much can you really do in a couple weeks of practice, but more significant than you could at any other point during the season. Um, but will, you know, what do you think about the rest of the season? Do, do you think this is a, a salvageable situation at, at this stage? I mean, I absolutely think it's salvageable, right? Because to Dave's point, there, there is a big difference in losing these games that you feel like you should win being in pretty much every game, like outside of Jacksonville, outside of Detroit, they've been in every game. Now I know they've not played a murderer's row of teams this year, but by and large under Arthur Smith, like they've been in more games than they've been out of. To me, again, that is a sign of at least baseline quality in kind of the organization in the, the locker room. Like these are the teams where you, you look at Pittsburgh year in and year out, the talent fluctuates, but they always kind of have a, at least a baseline level of we're going to go into each game and, and it's going to be a game for, 50 minutes, right? The Falcons do have that. And I I do think that coaching does play a role in kind of that week in a week out. We're doing what gives us the best chance in this game, in a sport to counter what the other team likes to do, to do, to take advantage of the matchups they provide. So because of that, I, I do know they're going to be in most of these games down the stretch it's just, again, like when you look at the Arizona game and you say, okay, now now they've got the Jets. The Jets defense might be the single best unit that the Falcons will face the remainder of the season. So I don't even know if I could say, yeah, they're going to beat Zach Wilson and the Jets at this point because I could see a game where it is 17-13 going the wrong way, right? Yeah. So that's kind of where it it's two things for me. It's does the bye week actually come at kind of the perfect time here? Because we always talk a lot about going into the bye week on a high note, but sometimes the best bye week can be the one that stops the bleeding, right? And they have been on a three-game losing streak here, and you were talking about players starting to tune them out. I've seen a locker room tune out a coach. I've seen a locker room tune out the media. I've seen a locker room basically this time of year be like, we're we're so checked out. Like if Call of Duty was dropping in, in 2020, boy, let me tell you, 
So yep. I, I don't see that from this team at all. I think that the personalities in the locker room, the guys like Calais Campbell, even, you know, a Drake London, like the, from everybody on this, on this roster. Yeah. You're going to have guys that are listening to this coaching staff that are buying in because they recognize where they're at. So the second part and the second thing that I'm really curious about, and again, if things go poorly, then to me, this is a big indictment, but right now I'm still holding out hope to see if they're onto something. And that is, I do think Arthur Smith has had a very creative way and has been at the forefront of just thinking about the sport and the league and where trends going and what are other sports leagues doing? What are other professions like in other industries? Like, how are they getting an advantage on their competition? And would I be shocked given the way that they have treated some player injuries given their conservative nature with some of the inactives you know we saw Saquon Graham just inactive for a couple of games there Bajan Robinson's usage ticking down a little bit I I do think they've been playing a little bit of a long game here and knowing hey a lot of teams get banged up the reason that teams fade down the stretch sometimes I think the bills are maybe a good example of this like so many dudes get banged up that you're relying on that you're just a totally different team and you can't hang so if if they have been smart and if they have been hoping to get to this bye week to then really implement another plan, maybe they have been going away from some of their big name guys to just say, we got seven games, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bajan Robinson, buckle up, we're coming to you. Defenses now have to worry about some of all these other fringe guys and we're going to go to our money guys and hopefully that gets us through the game, like the final stretch. I I'm curious to see if there is any of that element to this because again, I like hearing Arthur Smith talk and hearing the way he thinks about the game. Like I do think he is cognizant of not just week in and week out, but season long trends and approaches. And so now that the bye week is here, I'm really, really curious to see how they make these tweaks because I think they've been thinking about it for a while, what they're going to do when this bye week gets here and how they're going to be different coming out of it. So that gives me hope that again, they can provide something that's going to be totally different. New Orleans has never seen before and that they can get a couple of wins and maybe that puts them on a little bit of a streak to close out the season. But at this point, I am totally in a wait and see improvement mode. Like I'm not predicting the Falcons on the next believe in Falcons. When I do, you know, a matchup with whoever the saints radio, like I'm picking the opponents, Like the, the Falcons have lost my, my confidence going into these matchups until they, they can prove otherwise. Yeah. And that's the big thing is it, it it's multifaceted. Like, can they turn it around and, and win? Like, absolutely. It's, it's not, it's never off the table. I mean, it, unlike I think last year, you could really see like that this year, the talent is really not the issue. There's not a lack of talent here. Um, obviously the defense, the margin for error is a lot thinner now because they lost Grady Jarrett and, and without David on Yamada, it was ugly up front. Um, so, you know, Ideally, Anyamata will be back. I don't think there's really any long-term concern with his injury. So Anyamata comes back. Hopefully, LaKale London will be back soon as well. He was really starting to come on, and that'll help your depth, you know, there. But, yeah, I mean, to me, it's how, how it's not just do they win games. It's also how do they look. Because if they scrape by to 8-9 to and win the division, but it's ugly and they get blown out in the playoffs, like, to me, that doesn't instill any confidence in this regime. Uh, and Arthur Smith in particular, if, if they're, if they kind of heat up and, and, end the season on a really high note and they're playing well and they're, and they're scrappy in their playoff game, even if they don't necessarily win, but they look like they belong there. 
that's very different. Like eight and nine squeaking into the playoffs, looking ugly the entire time and getting blown out in the first round is very different than eight and nine improving the whole time, going into the playoffs on a little bit of a hot streak and, and putting up a good fight. And the offense just looks better. They're utilizing guys, you know, two very different scenarios. The record's the same, the outcome's the same, playoffs and a loss in the first round. But how it looks and how the team feels matters a lot in the analysis because it's not, that's why it's not just numbers on a page. If you could just look at, you know, the record and be like, okay, that team was good, that team was bad, then there'd be nothing to it. You know, if, if that was the case, you could look at last year's Vikings and be like, oh, that was a great team. They were 13 and four. They had like a negative point differential at 13 and four. So, you know, it, and of course they got waxed in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, it, it's, there are lots of ways that it can go. And I, so I don't want to make any statements like, oh, well, if they don't hit X record, then Arthur Smith should be fired. Or if they don't, you know, win a playoff game, because it, the manner of how it happens matters a lot. But I, to me, you know, and you know, you know how I feel, Will, like I, I'm, my, my faith has been deeply shaken to the point where I, I, Arthur Smith needs to prove it to me now that he, he needs to like, if he wants to stick around, I need him to, to show the, the flexibility that we've sort of been promised. I need to see Kyle Pitts involved. I need to see the offense live up to what we were expecting or I'm ready to move on. Now I'm not Arthur Blank. So it's ultimately not my decision. Obviously it's Arthur Blank's decision, but, um, can it happen? Yes. They have a very favorable schedule to make it happen. You know, this is not a huge uphill climb, but they have to get significantly better, obviously, uh, to have any chance of pulling it off. I completely agree. And I, I mean, in terms of the long-term, long, you know, like Arthur Smith job security, if if they do, if they reach the playoffs, I believe he will be back for a fourth year. I think that the, I think the quarterback ripcord that they have kind of been keeping for a little bit, I know they drafted Ritter, but they've yet to really say, okay, let's go all in on the quarterback position this offseason and we are going to get the number one free agent guy or we are trading up to go get you know drake may at number two like they really haven't played that card yet and that's a pretty powerful card in the nfl and so i like i think even with desmond ritter if he comes back and, and he's just kind of been the same guy and they know the answer that he's not the like I would fully expect this offseason if they limp into the playoffs and don't look good doing it. Now, if they turn it around and everything's fine, then, you know, they can approach the offseason. I'm sure they will a little bit differently the way they kind of maybe long-term envision. But if if they feel they need to, they do have that quarterback card in their back pocket. And I I would expect them to, to use that. But it, it's just, again, like to your point, you've got a defense playing as well as, as they have been playing. And... I while well, I expect that will and can continue, I just don't know if it's going to continue in some of the crunch moments we've seen and some of the, all right, the Falcons turn the ball over. Man, the defense makes a great play and gets kind of off the field or limits them to a field goal. They have been playing nicely in some crunch moments. And even if the offense turns things around a little bit, if the defense kind of ticks back slightly, which we have seen at times the last couple of weeks, maybe you find yourself in the same exact boat. And instead of them being 25, 23, it's just like, 29 26 and and your offense is a little bit better but your defense is kind of so that's what concerns me a little bit you know i know i was optimistic yeah. earlier but i i just <laughs> we've turned worry that not everything is going to mix perfectly <laughs> yeah. at any yeah. point this season for the falcons yeah and and to me like i i know you know i at you know jeff schultz of the athletic you know good piece there talking about you know 
don't be waiting for Smith to get fired this year because it's not going to happen. And and I think we all sort of agree with that. Like, I know fans want it, but that's just not Arthur Blank's style. Um, you know, uh, he did it with Quinn midseason because he gave Quinn that last chance and then 0-5 happened. And so, yeah, at that point, okay, it's over. But this has not been like that so far. Uh, you know, like, like Will said, I think it was obvious that the team had checked out. And when that happens, it's just... It's time to move on. Um, and I agree. You know, I think we're starting to see cracks. You know, Drake London speaking out for the first time, really, that that's a crack. It's not like the thing is collapsing. It's just the first sort of cracks of frustration starting to show. And the bye week's a good time to reset that. So we'll see if they can make that happen. Um, but yeah, uh, I think we, we got we got a lot of work to do. Uh, the Falcons really need to figure out a way to fix this and and look good doing it. Because I think just getting wins that look terrible. That's not going to sell any fans. And I, you, you know, you mentioned with the quarterback situation too, like they have to be very careful with how they handle that because Arthur Smith, you know, I, I know it's the nightmare scenario for a lot of fans and I, I don't think it's particularly likely, but you know, them going out and signing Ryan Tannehill in free agency is not going to cut it. Like <laughs> they will be facing a full on fan revolt if that's their quarterback plan. Uh, and, and to some extent, I think, you know, as good as Kirk Cousins was playing this year, going out, shelling out close to $40 million for Kirk Cousins off a torn Achilles uh, entering, like, age 37 season. That's not going to cut it either. And if that's his plan, I seriously question why you'd want to bring him back to execute that plan because it doesn't seem like a sound plan to me. <laughs> I mean, I get, you know, for the Vi- I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't just go back to the Vikings at this point. I mean, I don't really think there's much of a... a, a there's not really going to be a lot of takers uh, for the money that he's probably seeking at this stage. But, you know, I... To me, it's like we're probably looking at a rookie, honestly. Like I, I don't, and, and it seems like I think to some people they'll think that means like you're you're sort of starting over. But I don't think a veteran, an an aging veteran quarterback, is really an option. I don't think Kyler Murray is an option, and despite some people thinking that it is, like he's probably not leaving Arizona. That contract is not easy to trade, and the Cardinals really are better off keeping him if if they can make it work which it seems like based on the one game sample that we've seen personally, it seems like they might be able to make it work. So, um, so to me, it's like, well, you're probably drafting a rookie then. And that's a whole other crapshoot. but I think you can sell fans on a, on a top rookie. Like that's something that you can sell Jane Daniels hive. Um, you know, let's go, but you know, whether that's, whether that's Penix, um, you know, I, I would be happy with Penix too. Um, you know, that's probably those are probably the two guys they'll be actually considering if they don't trade up Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix maybe Bo Nix is still around or whatever JJ McCarthy is going to be a patriot so you know you can write that down now but um yeah I mean Dave I wanted to get your your thoughts here too before we we wrap up but you know what what do you think about sort of the outlook here and, and going into 2024 what are you sort of hoping to see uh from this team yeah I think that there's two things right um without Ritter really blowing up over the last seven weeks of the season, which I'd love to see it. It would really simplify things for this team. They would get to say I was right all along and they'd have a cheap quarterback for another couple seasons, but, you know, realistically not expecting that. So I think a rookie quarterback makes a ton of sense to me. Um, You know, somebody on the site in a comment asked me today, like, if Smith is going to be here for 2024, you know, do you take a rookie and worry that maybe, you know, 
he's going to get fired anyways and that offense isn't going to work out and the rookie's going to get screwed up or you take that stopgap year with a veteran and i was like of course you take the rookie because you want the long-term you know gains for that and and i think this organization's belief in ritter tells you ultimately that they're going to go get another rookie you know they want somebody they can build around for the long haul i think that's important to terry fontenot in particular um that this team be well positioned, not just for the next year, but the years to come. And I, I think this is a good class to get a guy. And so that is one of the big priorities. I think the other big priority and the Falcons have hinted at this by chasing Montez sweat, um, you know, with a couple other would be moves that they weren't able to make, they have to go get a top tier edge rusher. And I think they've wanted to do it. It hasn't worked out, but I think that's where a big chunk of your money for this upcoming off season is going to go is getting that guy because you see it at every turn, how much they miss just having that particular guy, right. Who can wrap up a quarterback instead of just kind of vaguely threatening him for, for 10 seconds while he runs around in circles. So, you know, those, everything else is, you know, you need to maybe swap out one spot on the offensive line. You need to add a credible second receiver. Um, You've got to restock some of the guys you're going to lose some of the veterans, but, to me, if you can come out of this coming off season with a guy you feel good about as your franchise quarterback, whoever that ends up being, and you can add a legitimate top shelf pass rusher, like I've only been asking for since the Falcoholics started back in 2006, um, you know, that would make me feel pretty good. And I, I do think those are going to be the organizational priorities, regardless of how this season goes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and they sort of have to be, and you know, it, you probably have to to earmark that first rounder for the quarterback, which limits your ability to get that sort of top tier edge rusher in the draft. Um, so I think they're sort of going to be forced to try to make a move for someone in free agency. But again, we know like how dicey that is, like how many of these guys are going to hit free agency. It looked like a good class on paper. It always does. We've already seen, I think, three guys taken off. You know, we saw Montez Sweats off. Uh, we've seen... Uh, who was the other guy? We, I mean, Leonard Williams got traded. Um, what? Who was it? Uh, Rash- Rashawn Gary of the Packers? Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe Daniel Hunter breaks free of the Vikings. You know, who knows? Maybe the Jaguars don't re-sign Josh Allen. Um, you know, it, it. But a lot of teams have money next year. Like the Falcons have a lot of money, but most teams have a lot of money. Like a lot of teams have a lot of money. And then there's a couple teams that have no money, like the Saints who are 82 million under again. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> just saying uh, that's not getting any better. It gets worse every single year. They kick it down the road. So, um, yeah, I love it too. I'm just waiting for that to, to collapse. This is this, the Saints season is going exactly like I predicted, by the way. Like, oh, yeah, well, Derek Carr's probably better than Andy Dalton, but like that roster got worse and is older and much more prone to breaking down. And why do you know? Yeah. Why do you know it's happening? So to, to take it back, though, to the, um, the defensive end point, I, so I'm really curious because I like, I think we've seen now a, a big enough sample size where the Falcons, I think prefer some of their veteran guys to, or their defensive guys to, to come from the NFL. I think they want to see players who have done it at, you know, at least the guys that they're going to invest and pay a lot of money in. They need to have seen that production against the guys you're going to see on Sunday. And they need to see a little bit of a track record for that. And they also, I think tend to like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it, when free agency in the new league year kind of starts, 
instead of the Falcons being in the market for the top like two free agent guys, do they get creative and do we hear news of a trade for somebody we're not necessarily thinking of, but then when the, we hear it, we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I can see that. I can get behind it. You know, like somebody who's a number two for a team, but you're like the upsides, there, kind of like Michael Turner back in the day, right? Like Ladanian Tomlinson's back up and you're like, oh, this is cool. All right, let's see what he can do. And then, and he flashes. Jeff Okuda is a great example. Jonu Smith's a great example. And the price tag, as we saw in this last trade deadline, far, far lower if you're going to make a trade than going and just paying for a guy in free agency, right? Yes, I know you got to bring the contract in and then you don't have, you can renegotiate or whatever, like that's set in stone. But I, I kind of feel like the Falcons could go that approach. Maybe it's not the, they're still getting a, a pro guy, but maybe it's not through free agency like we all expect. Maybe it happens during free agency, but maybe it's a, all right, the Falcons sent a fourth round pick and, and a fifth the next year for X player, who's the third right. guy on the, on the Eagles defensive line or the 49ers or, you know, so, like just somebody who makes sense with maybe a bigger role quarterback wise though, Dave, I, I do, I totally agree with you that a young rookie quarterback makes a lot of sense. And I, I think when people, they, they would point to like somebody like Josh Rosen, right. In Arizona. And you say, well, they were drafted by one regime and Cliff Kingsbury comes in and it's like, what are we going to do with this guy? We're going to draft her. And you just kind of get stuck in, well, what the heck are we, what's happening now? Sometimes, though, you could get a Tua situation where, again, he's drafted under a different regime. And then when you're doing the coaching carousel, if it comes to that point, maybe your young quarterback becomes the, the prize gem of your franchise as opposed to some of the others that you're competing against for a top name as a head coaching candidate. And you get a Mike McDaniel who says, I see in Tua my muse. Like, I see the guy who executes the offense in the way that I want it to be executed. I'm going to Miami. Right. So sometimes, yeah, it's it's a negative. But if you're smart about it, and I, I think we all think Terry Fontenot is pretty smart. Uh, you know, you've got the long term organizational stability with a guy like Rich McKay, like they're going to have a plan not just for next year, but also the future. So if they take a quarterback, I think that's going to be an asset long term as well. Like you said, Dave, as opposed to, all right, we're going to let Arthur Smith draft a guy and we don't know if he's going to necessarily be here next year. So we hope he gets it right. Otherwise, what are we doing? Like, I, I think it's, it'll be made as a benefit to the Falcons long-term if they get the right guy. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that they're going to want that top quarterback, particularly like, I mean, I think if the wheels fall off, they're def obviously if they're picking in the top 10, like they are now, they're definitely taking a quarterback, um, you know, because you're probably not even going to have to move to get one at this point. Um, unless you want to go all the way for Drake may or something like that. But you know, at, I love that. Did you just right? Off I just top of your that head, was right off the cuff. Drake May, yeah, maybe. that was all. That was actually perfect. That's why you um, get paid the big bucks. Yeah, that, this is why I'm in this chair. This I got the Secret Lab chair. That's why you know. Uh, but you know, Secret Lab sponsored the show. By the way, you know, send me some more pillows or something. But um, no, it's I I I'm. You guys know I'm Team Jaden Daniels, and part of that is because he's probably going to be a, be available when they pick at like nine or ten. Right now, he's going like the third round in drafts. That's not going to last. I'll tell you that right now. Um, He's the dual threat. So I think, and he has an amazing arm, beautiful deep balls. Like just that, that was his bread and butter all the time when he was at Arizona state. And he was really not a very polished passer. And since coming to LSU, uh, he has completely changed uh, in a good way. Like last year, he completely cut the turnovers out of his game, 
played very cautiously this year. It's bombs away. And like, he's like taken what he learned at limiting turnovers and added back in the crazy deep throwing. Uh, I think he's thrown 30 touchdowns and four picks this year uh, and almost rushed for a thousand yards on the ground to go with it. So He's not going to be a third-round pick, guys. Uh, I'm telling you that right now. If you think <laughs> Jaden Daniels is not is getting out of the first round with those stats, and and he's going to test absurd at the combine, I'm sure, uh, it's not going to happen. Maybe top ten. You know, teams may be a little bit may treat him like Lamar, and you might be able to get him a little bit later in the first. But if you draft a guy like that, who's got that dual threat ability, he could just fit in almost any scheme. Like. He's shown that he can play more under control in the pocket. He did that a lot last year. And he's shown that he can handle 100 carries in the run game. Now, you're not going to ask him to run the ball 100 times in the NFL, but like, you know, getting a guy that's, that's flexible like that, I think, would appeal to a lot of different coaching staffs. Like, if you want him to throw from the pocket, he can. He can also create off schedule and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, I that's, still, still think yeah. it's going to be Bo Nix. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not even saying that's my favorite quarterback in this class. Mm-hmm. I just, I having watched Bo Nix play just, again, knowing I think the Falcons really value certain intangibles in their quarterback position. And to me, I think he just screams like Arthur Smith would watch this guy and just be like, that. I love that guy. Like, let's, yeah. let's get him in here. And if he's there, you know, if it's like a Will Levis situation, a Billy Jeans situation where they just can trade up to the first pick in the second round, and like take Bo Nix. I, I don't know. That just keeps circling around in the back. It of my could head. be. Yeah. And like, I know everybody loves Penix. And I, I also think, I mean, Penix is having an amazing season and I'm, I'm so happy he's been able to stay healthy, but there's a legitimate chance that he falls out of the first round because the medicals are terrifying from what I understand. So like, you know, Michael Penix has played great football. It's not a question of that, but you've seen, you guys all know, you'll just see guys drop out and go on like day three when they were protected first rounders and they'll be like, what the hell? And it's like medicals it teams. And and if you're talking about a quarterback too, like that, that could really ding him. And I hope it doesn't because I think he's absolutely deserving of being a top. We're going to hear so many negative things about all these quarterbacks in the coming month. Like it is going to get brutal out here. I mean, we're going to Caleb Williams. You think you're having it rough now, man? Buckle up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be, it's always brutal in the pre-draft process, but definitely a fun class. We got a lot to look forward to, whether the Falcons are good or bad. Uh, lots of draft takes. This this draft class is is pretty good. Uh, it, it's probably better overall than last year, like significantly better because of all the fifth-year seniors coming out for the COVID year. Senior Bowl is going to be really good this year. Last year was pretty mediocre, honestly. Um, so, like, they'll be, we'll have a lot of fun. If they're picking high again, you know, we'll have a lot of fun. But just for the sake of different content, I would like to be able to talk about not the eighth pick. So can we at least get it to be, like, the ninth pick or, like, or, or or like be in the top five again, whatever. But if it's the eighth pick again, I'm, we're going to have words because like I, how many, you know, come on guys, we can't just be picking at eight forever. Okay. We got to get some variety in the off season, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very up in the air. As you guys can tell, uh, you know, I, I'm not holding out hope for them making the playoffs, but because of the division, I think it's certainly possible. Um, but I, I do, you know, I wonder if Arthur Smith survives not making the playoffs. I, you know, we'll just have to see. Um, at, at this point, it seems like he would still be safe, assuming the wheels don't fall completely off. But it's easy to say that now uh, and maybe not so easy when you've ended the season poorly. So we'll, we'll see how that develops. But, um, you know, I, I think ultimately the Falcons can save their season after the bye. 
We all certainly hope they figure it out. I think there's certainly the opportunity that they at least look better, even if they don't completely salvage it. If they just, like, get on the right track and look a lot better, even if they fall short of the playoffs, um, then you have to get the damn eighth pick again, you know? <laughs> if they just look <laughs> a lot better doing it, then that goes a long way. But I, I can't handle this, like, we're going to barely scrape wins out and, and lose the last second a bunch and get punked by basically every team. You know, that that's is the stuff that I, I can't really deal with for another year. So you're a real and, su- style like over substance guy. I didn't I didn't necessarily know. You, I know you want to you want to win, but you want to look good doing it, too. Yeah, See, I'm, I'm all about just scratching and clawing out those. Dirty just win, wins, baby. I, yeah. I want. Yeah, I just want 17, 16 victories for <laughs> I mean, 18 weeks. Baby. I'll take that, too. Yeah. If we could get 17 wins, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, Dave, what, what sir, what are you hoping for over the last little stretch here? as we as we get to it i'd like to see a playoff berth right like i'm still holding out hope um i would love to not have to kind of hit the reset button on any of this if you don't have to i would love for something to work for this falcons team i would love to not be sitting here at the end of the season and saying well it's the sixth straight losing season but next year we're going to get them because it it gets a little bit older and a little less convincing every year. You got to say it. So I, I, I'm definitely hoping I'm not in like the, I hope things go South. If they do go South, let's over. But I really, really hope that they can figure this thing out, go four and three, five and two, you know, make a playoff run, make some noise, whatever noise it might be. um, And then still be well positioned to hopefully shake things up a little bit in the off season. So that's the hope. That's the yeah. dream. Uh, I don't know how optimistic I am about it. I'll probably be, you know, glued to those mock drafts, Kevin. But yep. um, it's that's the hope. It, it, it's yeah. still there's a sliver of hope there. There is. Mm-hmm. I think that was the best point by you all, Pod. Though, Dave, I I don't know if I have it in me after a, a six straight losing season to next June, July, be like, this is the year, baby. Get ready for a stretch. Like I kind of went all in this year on the yep. hype trade because I felt it. We all believed yeah. it, right? Yeah. It was like yeah. year three, here we go. They got the pieces. So I'll have to take a little bit of a step back if they don't reach the play. If if things are still murky, if it's still kind of a lot of the same, it'll be a little bit more of a subdued spring and summer, I think, from, from all of us probably because we'll be a little yeah. bit more like fool me once shame on on you fool me twice i'm not gonna let you fool me twice yeah Yeah. exactly so that's what we're looking at guys uh hopefully they do get it together uh but yeah i mean i'm I'm certainly not gonna hope for them to lose or anything like that you know that's that's not really my thing i I know some people want just relief in any way you know and, and i think a lot of people feel like just firing smith will be some kind of relief it's not really. It's it's just another flip. It's just another coin flip. And and maybe you get maybe you you know maybe it's more like a D twenty you know D and D terms. It's another roll, right? Because it's rarely just fifty fifty. So it's like maybe you roll a twenty and you get the next Belichick or you get you know the next Kyle Shanahan. Hopefully this one can win Super Bowls. Um, you know I think if you roll a twenty, the one should win Super Bowls. That's my opinion. But um, you know. Or maybe you roll a 15 and you get a good coach. Maybe Ben Johnson comes here and he's like looking like the next Sean McVay or another, you know, talented offensive mind. Or maybe you roll a 10 and it's sort of middling. Maybe you roll a one and you fire Josh McDaniels, you know, within the first four games or something like that. <laughs> Urban Meyer, uh, Jim Harbaugh, speaking of college coaches. No, I, I don't think Jim Harbaugh would be that terrible, but um, it could go any way. 
it, it's not a guarantee that things will get better. It's not a guarantee that really anything nice happens. It could be terrible. You know, the new coach could come in and want to change everything. I don't, I don't know why you'd hire someone like that, but it, it could happen. So, um, change for the sake of change is not wise in this business. And that's why you don't see a lot of teams making snap decisions because just going to someone else doesn't mean that your problems are fixed. Uh, you still got to fix the problems. Uh, sometimes it's easier to fix your problems with the people that helped create them because maybe they have some insight into how they got there and how they can fix it. So um, that's what I'm hoping for. I I like Smith. I know he's come off as an asshole lately, um, you know, and I, I think it's clear that he's frustrated. But, you know, I, I think when Smith is not necessarily like that all the time, uh, I know when people sort of cut his clip like his his uh press conference clips short it, he looks a little more curt than he really is um but you know i he, he's got he's got to get me back you know i i'm not i i'm willing to come back okay i'm 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 i, w- I will come back but i need i need a little you know i need a little sweet talking you know i need i need some some you know a nice dinner or something from arthur smith you know lay out a nice feast over these last seven games for us to partake in and and we can you know we can all return to the table you know, I don't know where this metaphor is going, but you know, <laughs> you're just missing those training yeah. camp buffets, buddy. Yeah, I'm right I am. With you. Yeah, like, yeah. Where, where are my breakfast uh, tacos? Are yes, come on. Yeah, that's um, really that. Yeah, I got to get some food after this, apparently. But um, yeah, it. You should all be open to this team having a big c- comeback and, and looking great. Like that, that should you shouldn't be rooting against that because if that happens, the idea is maybe the problems are fixed. Maybe Smith does look within and, and fix some of the issues he's having and this team's on a much better path. Uh I you know, that's what we're hoping for. We'll we'll see if it happens. Probably not particularly likely, but it's crazy stuff happens in the NFL all the time. I mean we saw a guy come off the street with no practice reps and win an NFL game. So, you know, it can happen, Let's right? Crazy stuff. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did that did that happen to the Falcons? Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I blacked out. I didn't even remember that game. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a tough season the rest of the way. But there's a chance. There's a chance it gets better. So, um, let me get. We had a couple donations real quick. Uh, thanks guys for donating. Always appreciate that. We got Brandon Brass with the two dollars. What's up, Brandon? He says, "All right, early 2024 draft takes." We're getting Marvin Harrison Jr. He's going to be that perfect decoy for for those Jonu Smith screens. Uh, yeah, like that. Love that, Brandon. Yeah, perfect decoy for Jonu Smith. I love it. Um, I feel like they actually can't. Like, no, you can't draft another receiver. You can't have one in the first round. You, you, you're done on skill positions. You're maxed out. No more. No more. You can't have them. So there's just too many now. Now, if you want to take a wide receiver on day two, I'll have that conversation. But... Yeah, they they're, they don't even use the ones they have enough right now for for me to get behind a wide receiver in the first round. I don't think anyone's seriously mocking a wide receiver to the Falcons at this point, but maybe some are. Nah, I don't give know. it time. Give it time. Yeah, it'll happen. Yep. Let's see. We got Ray Moon with a couple here. What's up, Ray? Says I think Ritter will be better after the bye, assuming that Ritter starts. Yeah. Um, but defensively, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's the big question. Like the defense was so good. I think it seems like they might have been playing a little bit over where, what they are, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't see them going back to Taylor Heineke now. I mean, I think you sort of have to let Ritter ride it out and, and see what you got. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I hope that Ritter obviously plays better than Heineke was playing and better than Ritter was playing over the first part of the season. But yeah, I mean, the defense, I think the defense will be okay, ultimately. Um, I do I do still trust the defense. Maybe I'm a fool, but I, I do still trust the defense. It's weird to say that, but uh, I do. 
They have um, some easy offenses the second yeah. half too. So I mean, yeah. there's that. There is that. That should help things for sure. And we got Raymond with the last one, five dollars. He says, "I want to see Arthur Smith go back to the option. Whatever they did against Washington was beautiful, and we haven't seen it nearly as much since then." Yeah, I mean, honestly, that Washington game plan was pretty good. Um, it seemed like they they'd found a way to exploit that defense, and and we're we're getting some stuff done there. It's just the turnovers, you know, that was really what crushed them. I, they were moving the ball really well. Um, so if we could do that without the turnovers, then we're cooking. So that's really the secret to this team is just stop making the dumb mistakes. And in theory, it should be possible, right? Like if, if you're, if you're losing games because of dumb mistakes, if you just stop the dumb mistakes, then you should be good to go. You should start winning. It doesn't, you don't have to like, Oh, it's not like we're the jets where it's like, well, we've lost five offensive linemen on IR. So now we have to hope that, our third string tackle is going to be able to hold up uh, for the rest of the season. It's not that dire. It's more like, can we fix the dumb stuff? And there's a chance. There's a chance they can. Better chance than some things. But these are the Falcons, so it's probably going to be the most hilariously painful way that things could go. That that seems to be what happens most weeks. But um, guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Tonight's show was, of course, brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, before we sign off, I want to thank. Our wonderful guest this evening, first of all, we have Will McFadden. He's at Will McFadden, host of Believe in Falcons, and another wonderful writer, contributor extraordinaire over at thefalcoholic.com. Will, what are you working on? Anything you want to let the people know about? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, So tomorrow we will have the, I guess, bi-week edition of uh, Bird's Eye View, where I I kind of give some advanced scouting on everybody that the Falcons still have left on their schedule. So we've been talking a lot about these final seven games, but you'll get an idea of how the jets have played, how the, you know, the saints going into this matchup, who's maybe an X factor based on the way that the team has looked over the last like four or five weeks. So check that out on the uh, falcolic.com. And then on believe in Falcons, I didn't really know what, what we were going to do by week, Thanksgiving, all of that stuff. But Ovi, my uh, co-host Ovi Mahaley came through pretty big and, Earlier this afternoon, we uh, talked with Jesse Bates. So that will be dropping tomorrow morning. We've got a little bi-week interview with Jesse Bates talking about the defense, kind of what are the strengths? How did it come together so quickly to become really the the unit for this team? Then, of course, we got into a post-bi-week. What does the team have to do? He's a team captain. It's as much on him as it is anybody to get everything corrected and get him going in the right direction. So be on the lookout for that. Believe in Falcons. We got an interview with Jesse Bates dropping nice and early tomorrow morning. All right. Well, that's fantastic stuff. I'm excited to listen to that. Uh, I, yeah, good, great get there. You know, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> All stuff. Ovi, man. I can't, I yeah. can't take any credit for this. No, I mean, I, I love it. I'm excited to, to listen to that one. You guys should check it out for sure. Uh, also with this, of course. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited to listen to that one. Um, all right, guys. Also with us. Wow. Also with us, of course, Dave Choate at the Falcoholic, uh, the boss man, editor-in-chief at the site. Uh, Dave, anything you'd like to plug before we sign off tonight? I, I don't have a Jesse Bates interview in my back pocket. so I just <laughs> You don't? Oh. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but, um, but no, I, I mean, we, we will have the Saints coverage coming up, obviously, next week. We're recharging a little bit, too, at the Falcoholic this week, but um, still some great you know, content about the rest of the NFL, including bird's eye view. I'm going to do something for Friday, kind of like what you should know about the bye week um, recapping where the team is and where they're going. It's, it's not particularly pleasant as this discussion has shown you, but you know, it'll still be a good read hopefully. Um, So yeah, just, you know, all the great work you guys are doing um, all week long. We'll have it in 
we'll crank it up to 11 because we hate the saints so that'll be great yes we can always get by on saints hate that that can sustain us even in the darkest seasons uh and again if arthur smith sweeps the saints that will go a long way with fans okay like maybe things aren't going so great but if he gets two wins against the saints that'll cover up a lot of problems with this fan base that that's the secret to getting in getting in with this team okay like arthur just beat the saints and and we'll, we'll we're willing to overlook a lot if you just beat the saints every year so start there let's start after the bye with that big saints dub and then then we could talk about 2024 okay but no uh sincerely thanks to everyone for hanging out with us tonight uh thanks to every one of these wonderful guests uh for coming on and, and sharing their insights on this this just you know hilariously broken and, and lovable loser team that we follow uh maybe a little bit less lovable over the last couple of weeks but you know we're still here we'll, we'll be here you know we, we can't quit this team come on if we could we'd have quit a long time ago so um you know you guys are i'm sure the same way but we'll be back i will have my first mock draft coming on friday so get hyped for that everyone that's been i told you it was coming uh we lost to the cardinals so you're getting that mock draft and if you've heard, you know, if you listen to this show, you'll know who we're taking in the first round. And, you know, if you want to be mad about that, that's that's on you. But, um, you know, I, I'm putting all my chips in on certain person going in the first round. Uh, so, you know, if, if it happens, I'll look like a genius. If not, you know, I'll just quietly sweep it under the rug with my other 90% of mock drafts that didn't come true. So, um, you know, that that's it's mock drafts, baby. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you're wrong. Um, all right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back. Uh on Friday, and then of course no post game because no post game show. But we'll have more stuff coming for you next week as well as we get prepared for Hate Week Volume One. All right, guys, thank you so much, Kevin Knight of Alcoholic Kevin. Like, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave that five star review on your podcast platform of choice. We'll see you next time, guys. Have a great night. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.